Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for trying them out for one month. Now in our second year, this is the Book Ice Show. We return from hiatus with a great group of hosts. Of course, myself, Paul Alves. I am joined today by Sir Jimmy, all the way from North Carolina. How are you doing, Sir Jimmy? It's so good to be back. I have missed this uh, so much. Uh, good to talk to you all. That's right. And we got to do the stinger. Sir Jimmy. Almost forgot. Thank you. <laughs> and we are joined by also Professor Allen. We, don't, we still don't have a jingle. Sorry, I, I tried. What have you been doing the last six weeks, Paul? It's not like we've been recording. <laughs> That's Good right. question. Good. That, is a, <laughs> that is a great question, actually. That is. <laughs> and we also joined today by a good friend of the show and author, Kamanzi Constable. How are you doing, Kamanzi? Good. I'm really good. I'm from Wisconsin, but if you're going to ask me, I don't know Paul Ryan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the show, and we figured that everyone in Wisconsin knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are back from hiatus. I've uh, taken a bit of time off. Uh, as you all know, there's been a little bit of a change over here where I work at Sterling Post Print, and uh, we are building the new studio inside the facility uh, slowly. <laughs> We're doing it on the cheap, folks. We're doing it on the cheaps. Paul the Book Guy is not sitting there. This is not Leo Laporte's studio. I'm not sitting there telling the designers what to do. I'm, I'm on the floor scrubbing and, you know, putting up drywall. But uh, we should have the studio ready, uh, I would say another month, uh, we'll have the studio ready for in-studio in guests. We'll still be doing the audio show, uh, but we are getting ready for the video show, so we will be going to the YouTube soon. You know, Paul, uh, Sir Jimmy and I would love to come up, but that whole border crossing issues we both have. <laughs> so. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Understood. Understood. I hear Kamanzi might be up uh, in our neighborhood one of these days. Yeah, um, possibly in a conference there in Toronto. I'd be really excited. I hear very good things. My uncle is a big fan of Canada, so it'd be awesome to come up there and hang out with you guys and say hello and catch a drink and, you know, all that good stuff. That'd be great, absolutely, and you're, you're more than welcome. Just let me know uh, before you come, and we'll, uh, yeah, definitely we'll have a drink, and I'll get you painting, <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing construction in the studio. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. That'd be a lot of fun. So, uh Guys, what's new? What's on your uh, Kindles? What's on your nightstands and your iPads? Uh, Kamanzi, anything uh, you've been reading lately? That's uh... Yeah, I'm reading um, The Charm School by Nelson DeMille, I think is his name. Okay. Um, I had read the Reader's Digest version like when I was a kid. And I don't know, the other day I thought, man, I wonder if I could actually get the whole book. And yeah, I got the whole book and it is, it's just an awesome book. It's probably like my favorite book. Ever, oh, brilliant! We, you know what? Um, if, if any of you guys ever want to do a you know a little short written review and po post it on the site, uh, I know uh, Professor Allen does it all the time. You're more than welcome to, of course. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd be all for that. It's you know I remember reading it when I was a kid, and it was it was it blew my mind back then, and it's it's still good now. Very very well written storyline. We'll, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. Uh, I re I, rem I remember we had a few of those. I don't know where we got them from. A few of those uh, Reader's Digest, you know, condensed you know, collections. We would have three or four condensed uh, novels in them, and and I read some of those. I've not sort of thought about going back and and reading the full version. 
Yeah, you know, okay. it's, it's an interesting thought. Uh, I like I like some of the previews on uh, you know on Kindle and iTunes. Some of them allow you to read a couple pages of the book. Uh, I find the problem with those is that they're not handpicked, much like the the audio clips on on Audible. Whereas sometimes it's just a random, like you're getting like page seven to nine, and it doesn't really <laughs> you know give you a taste of the book. Where the Reader's Digest always used to give you a nice uh, you know a well handpicked uh, section of the book that would intrigue you to to read it. Whatever is yeah. Reader's Digest even still around? Is that still around in the print version? I I don't know. I just I know my parents like in their house right now they got about twelve of those books, and I think I've read like all of them when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the, the the Reader's Digest was always the ultimate. Bathroom Bible. <laughs> Sorry, Father. We we got, we got Father Robert Ballester. <laughs> I think the last few times I've read a Reader's Digest has been at the doctor's office. So next yeah. time I have a medical appointment, I'll yeah. let you know if they have Reader's Digest. Yeah, it's doctor's <laughs> office or, or, or bathroom, right? I mean, that's pretty much the uh, the thing there with the Reader's Digest. Uh, Sir Jimmy, anything new being carved out or read? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just sitting here looking and Ask.com says that Reader's Digest is still being published. So uh, good news for them, I suppose. Ooh, great research uh, on the fly there. Nice. You like that? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm... Let's say I've actually got a book ordered. Somebody wanted me to hollow out yet another Atlas Shrugged, one of the most popular uh, books requested. So uh, I was carefully carving, and I decided, you know, I started stacking up all the sheets of paper. And and I started that book and and just gave up on it about, you know, 200 pages into 10,000 pages. Yeah, you know, you you really got to do that one in audio. Our good friend yeah, Scott Brick Yeah, I think Brick so, because I, I actually saved the pages, and I was I read it like another 100 pages, and I'd crumple the page, throw it away, crumple it, throw it away. <laughs> and uh, I got through 100 pages, and I just I was exhausted. Yeah, the book so, collector uh, is like uh, worst nightmare. <laughs> Guy's destroying the book as he reads it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I, just, I cut up one here, Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. Okay, <laughs> I, I felt good. About, I felt good about tearing that guy's book up. Yeah, so you know what? Uh, I, I've read some books. You know, I, I don't. I don't talk about all the books I read on the show. Most of them, I just you know, uh, pre- pretend I never read them. Uh, I could probably send you some in a box. I'd love to know that they're being ch- you know chopped up. Oh yeah, send me some of your worst ones. Yeah, I will. <laughs> well, you, you know, Paul, I I I don't want to get all professorial on you, but uh, a collector would probably appreciate. What Jimmy does to those ah, books. A, this is a good that point. That means they're fewer available. <laughs> this is a good See? point. Think positive. That's right. That's it. I need. I need to. I need to point that out because I, I do occasionally get some hate mail from people that think I'm, you know, the most horrible person in the world. Like I'm cutting up first editions and and things like that. <laughs> hey, you just do. Yeah, you, if the order comes in, you got to fulfill the order. That's it. That's it. Not That's what I do. That's what you do. Yeah. Um. I've been. Uh, I just finished Life of Pi, uh, by Yan Martell. Uh, it's, a, it's an old one. It's an 11-year-old book uh, published in 2001. Uh, I'll talk about it later during book news because there's some movie-related news there. And um, I also really enjoyed The Family Corleone. which came out uh, a couple weeks ago by Mario Puzo. It's the, um, the prequel to The Godfather. Interesting. It was, oh, it was a lot of a lot of fun. Maybe I'll talk about that later in the book. In the, I, uh, I thought Mario story. Puzo was long dead. So well, it's, I'm sorry. Not, it was, huh? it's, the, it's by Ed Falco. Uh, based on the screenplay by Mario Puzo. So oh, Mario okay. had written a screenplay for a prequel to the, the Godfather series of movies. Um, and Ed Falco uh, basically extrapolated that into a, uh, into a novel. And, and he did a good job. 
Uh, basically, yeah. it's, it's kind of the rise of the family Corleone. So the kids are still young. It's a couple years before the, the, the Godfather. Yeah, I think they're, uh, they're making that. And um, Ashton Kutcher is going to play the Godfather. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I just can't picture Ashton Kutcher as the Godfather. Maybe Charlie Sheen. <laughs> just, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> you never know. Uh, that's enough of that. And of course, uh, of course, in between Godfather 2 and Godfather 3, Mario Puzo wrote the screenplays to uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, we lost you there for a sec, Kamanzi. Uh, uh, but, you know, before we talk to Kamanzi, uh, guys, let's discuss this. Now, you guys listen to podcasts, much as I do, many podcasts, and we, we've been hearing the same thing throughout all podcasts and, and since Microsoft bought Skype. All the problems that are happening now with Skype. Is this like a, a, just a bad PR disaster? Was this a bad move for Microsoft? It mm. seems like it has gone down ever since the whole Microsoft thing. Uh, Skype is an integral part of most uh, podcasts. And uh, it seems that whether I'm listening to No Agenda or This Week in Tech, and I mean, uh, when you're, uh, maybe on No Agenda, when Adam Curry's out you know, in, in a Mustang in the middle of nowhere, yeah, maybe his Skype problems aren't, have nothing to do with, uh, with Microsoft or Skype, right? I mean, even John Dvorak, when he turns into a chipmunk, <laughs> I, I'm guessing that might be his, like, his, uh, you know, his, his router or problems at his home. But when, when Leo Laporte is having issues with Skype and people dropping out and he's got like, you know, the world's largest pipes to the Internet. I mean, you can't really at that point blame, you know, anything other than the software. Wasn't that what wasn't there a problem with that last Skype update that seemed to be the, the big problem? Oh, that one was a problem for everyone because uh, people were getting yeah. instant messages from other people that they don't know. So That's to, a problem. Especially if you're sexting or something, you know. <laughs> uh, come on Z you're back so uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on I hear you have some news to, to tell us yeah it's been kind of wild um, since the last time I talked to you um, the last time I talked to you since the last time I talked to you I went to a Brendan Bouchard conference he's a pretty famous guy and at the conference I had uh, you know networked with a lot of people I mean just to tell you what kind of conference it was the conference cost ten thousand dollars to get in and it was in new york but um i'm not rich i don't have yeah, ten thousand dollars we have a, we have a priest coming on the show later come on z so I, i'm not gonna <laughs> i was gonna make a comment as to what was included in that ten thousand but uh, i won't i'll be a refrain <laughs> no but it was it was in new york they put you up at the marriott in times square which was all pretty cool all the food and all that but for ten thousand you could bring a guest i was the guest my friend was the one that actually paid the ten thousand are you the plus one? Yes, I was the plus one. So I'm like, Very yeah, nice. Thank you, thank you friend. Because, yeah, there's no way. But there was a lot of people there, and I met like four or five publishers. And you, as you know, I self-published two books. So I just, you know, started telling about the books and uh, connected with them and, you know, came home, didn't think anything of it. And then like a couple weeks later, you know, I had like uh, some offers from the publishers, and they had checked out my books, checked out my stuff. And I actually got four offers from four, di four different publishers. And so, yeah, just sorted through those uh, with the attorney, of course, and uh, signed a, a four-book deal with uh, oh. um, Sound Wisdom Books. Congratulations, my Terrific. friend. Terrific. Yeah, right. so the first, the second self-published book, it's called The Difference Between Living and Existing. That will be in print in bookstores everywhere this February. Really? Are you can, all right. Are you going to be doing an update to it, or is it going to be? Yeah, that's, that's what good. we're doing well, right now. Got to do it. 
Yeah. Good. Good. Really, keep us informed, and we'll uh, post links on the site as well. Yeah, and so after I got the the book deal and it became public, and you know I've done pretty well with the self published books. I started getting calls from uh, conference organizers to come speak at their conferences, and you know speaking is not my thing. I'm I'm a writer, and so I was like, Ooh, I don't know. But you know, then they started talking about money, and I'm like, ah, okay, <laughs> maybe let me think about this. Well, you, so, you know, so these conferences are, are great. I mean, you're getting your, your face out there. You know, you're putting your hand in someone else's hand. Uh, you know, you get to meet the person. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, a, lot of, a lot of self-published authors just sit at home and try to use the Internet for everything, you know, doing virtual blog tours and whatnot. But getting out there and actually meeting people, I mean, that, that, there's nothing like it. No, I, I totally agree because I was one of those authors. But then, yeah, since the beginning of this year, I spoke in – West Virginia, New York, uh, Reno, Nevada. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Sydney, Australia, speaking at the University of Sydney, and then uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and then the rest of this year, you know, includes possibly Toronto, but California twice, Nashville, um, Hawaii, and then uh, top it off in November for two weeks in Nairobi, Kenya. Wow. Terrific. Wow. Very nice. Maybe one day we can get a, a tour going for the Book Guys show as well, but I think it might, it might go as far west as Mississauga and as far east as Scarborough, Ontario. We'll try. Might get down to Buffalo. We'll see. Well, yeah. You know, I owe a big thank you to the Book Guys, of course, for the first people that ever had me on a show, gave me some good exposure, and, yeah, I ended up picking up uh, a lot of um, uh, readers from Canada. You know, so thank you readers from Canada and, you know, all over. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we love having you on, uh, Kamanzi. We hope that uh, moving forward, you'd be more of a constant uh, host on the show. Yeah, when I'm rich and I'm famous and I have my own $10,000 conferences, I'm going to say, hey, you guys need to go check out the book, guys. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll make you some bookmarks. The bookmarks work. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone likes our bookmarks. We are always running out. Got to make some more. Uh that's a book guy show. All our bookmarks uh, said Paul the book guy on them. And so now it's uh, like uh, Sir Jimmy said, now we're going through the process of making the book more general because I had written the books to specifically like the everyday working man. That's what I was talking to. So now it's going to be more general and people are like, well, you shouldn't have signed with the publisher. They're going to change your book and they're going to do this and they own it. And, you know, I plan on writing a lot of books. So if this is a bad experience, you know, once you know I write my four books, I'll just go back to being self-published. Well, yeah, you know, you know but uh, but the publisher, oh no, they're going to change it. Well, they want to sell more books too, so yep. <laughs> you know they're going to get your rather than you getting you know a thousand readers, they want to get you a million readers, as many as they can get, a billion if they can. So and and this is what they do. So why would anyone not want you know a, a publisher to edit your book? That's what they do. That's <laughs> my thoughts. Yeah. And if the uh, if this a uh, four book experience for some reason is not as good as you like that would make for a great fifth book yeah right <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh, that's right okay Kamanzi you know what we're going to uh, take a quick break and we're going to come back Kamanzi hope you can stay with us for the whole show if Skype yep. holds up and we're going to be speaking uh, coming up next we're going to speak to Richard Goodship the author of The Camera Guy uh, who is in Toronto and his movie, uh, the movie based on his book, The Camera Guy, is being filmed or was being filmed. Man, we've been off the air for like a month and a half. For all I know, they're done shooting. But we'll be back with Richard Goodship right after this message. 
the Think Geek item of the week from thinkgeek.com. Well, folks, if you go to bookguys.ca slash thinkgeek, you can click on any one of the banners and you will get some special deals from Think Geek. And uh, Professor Allen, you found this one uh, this week. Well, you know, with the back-to-school season in full swing, we got the Doctor Who TARDIS lunchbox. Perfect for your fish fingers and custard. That's right. <laughs> Not for yogurt. Yogurt is just stuffed with bits Oh, in come it. on. Uh, I, I like it. It's one of those old-fashioned tin uh, boxes. Looks like it's well-constructed. I've actually seen one in a, in a candy store here in Toronto. I forgot the name of the, the candy store, but uh, it's a franchise thing. And uh, they, they sell all kinds of lunchbox toys like that. And it is a pretty, it looks pretty solidly constructed. Uh, yeah, good to hold your jelly babies. Sixteen ninety nine US. Um, the one thing I, the one thing I don't like about Think Geek myself personally is because I'm Canadian, so uh, anytime anything crosses the border from the United States, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, our government hits us up for taxes and duties and. Uh, Screw you're you. not gonna, you're not gonna tell us how many loonies that is now, are you, yeah. Paul? <laughs> no, but I know, Think Geek, please, if you're listening, thinkgeek.ca, please, a little satellite office right here in Toronto. I'll drive over, pick it up, you know, and I won't have to pay all this, uh, you know, duties and and stuff. I don't mind paying the tax, you know, but the, it's the duties, and I mean, like uh, the, the the couriers charge like ten dollars or fifteen dollars just to, you know, bring it over, sign a paper. You said duty. Anyway, hey, how much cooler would this lunchbox be if it had a, like a, a Dalek thermos inside with that little metal clasp that pulls over and holds it so it doesn't roll over and smash your sandwich? That would be cool. <laughs> and, I, and I believe, folks, I'm told it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> the Think Geek item of the week from thinkgeek.com Podcasts Now, the major podcast news that happened while we were on hiatus, of course, is um, Apple introducing the Podcasts app, much like they uh, broke out the iBooks app and, uh, you know, various other apps that they've slowly, you know, made their own separate things. The podcasts are now in a separate app. And uh, I, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing for, for podcasting. Well, I th- if, if they make it easier to find podcasts, then I'm all for it. I think that's the big. There's some finding podcasts should not be as hard as it is. Well, my my cha- only concern, it, Alan, you're right, but, but my only concern is, uh, yeah, it'd be making it easier. Yes, but right now you have to go and download the podcast app. Right now, here's the whole thing. Here's the the litmus test: is if if Apple includes the podcast app on the home screen of the iPads and iPhones as of iOS six when it comes out. Well, they've then, got an empty spot now that they're pulling YouTube. That's right. That's true. That is true. But, but if does, they don't include the podcast button on the phones, I would say that 95% of the owners of iPhones and iPads will never discover podcasts, especially if they yank them from iTunes. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a thing you should never do, especially if you're a lawyer, which I'm not. Ask a question you don't know the answer to. <laughs> but, I mean, Apple makes money when music is downloaded. They make money when, uh, when a movie is downloaded. They can't make any money when a podcast is downloaded. There's no transaction for them to get a percentage of. So how high a priority can it be? Yeah, you no, know, you're, you're, you're correct. And uh, some podcasts, for some reason, they're favored by Apple uh, or were favored by Apple, have been allowed to post their podcasts for money. 
completely uh, right. not in the podcast section, but in the music section. Uh, right. I'm thinking like NPR's uh, This American Life. Ricky Gervais. Right. So we're talking big, big names that have gotten around their so-called, you know, no charging for podcast rule. And I know that uh, Steve Jobs was not very big on charging for podcasts because he wanted, he wanted to be a way for the, you know, the little guy to be able to get on the radio and, and, and you know, speak his mind. He, he loved that but it was an open source thing like that. But whatever percentage they're getting of zero, it can't be a very high priority. I mean, just from a business perspective. Right. But people it can't have be noted. as high a priority as video or as as music downloads. Okay, I look at the podcast app. If they were to give it a little bit of you know PR behind it and let people know, you know, it, it's more about selling hardware. You know, it gives people a, a real reason to want to go out and pick up you know an Apple device because of the software. It's sort of like iTunes. You know, right. iTunes by itself is useless if you don't have an Apple device. So, you know, they sort of really when, when they got rid of the podcast button and then they just threw it into you know uh you know into the music app i hated that and that made me go out and grab downcast which i'm you know totally been happy with since you know you don't have to didn't have to plug your you know the wire in to get your podcast transferred just get home as soon as you hit the wi-fi boom everything's downloaded in the background one thing one thing i noticed sir jimmy about the podcast app is uh, especially early on they did an update uh, I believe parts of the app, it's kind of like the iTunes app on your phone. Parts of the app are coming off the internet so they can update them on their end without any kind of, uh, you know, without you having to update it. And uh, early on, when you subscribe to a podcast and you, uh, you click on the subscribe button, it said free. So I don't know. I know Steve Jobs wasn't big on uh, being able to charge for podcasts, but he did. I mean, he's, he's not in charge anymore. So when I saw that button, when I saw free... As I was subscribing to my podcast, I saw the word free there. Uh, I'm thinking they're leaving it open that eventually they are going to open it up so that, uh, you know, people like us can charge uh, or even maybe even have two versions, a free version and an optional, you know, donation. I think that they should have a donate button. That's there you go. I just thought of it right on the air. But yeah, should and have they're going to take 20 percent, 25 percent. Sure. Why not? They, they run the system. That's fine. But, mm-hmm. at the, you know, if they're going to charge th- for the, the podcast, though. I mean, if they're going to take their 20%, maybe they should be hosting them. Because right now, yes. I have to pay Liberated Syndication for all our bandwidth. i got to pay to host the files. iTunes is just an aggregator. So the podcast app right now is just pulling the files off of Lipsyn server, and I pay them every month for, for the hosting and whatnot. So if, but if they're going to take their 20%, then they, they better well you know, do the hosting. I think people like Lipsyn and all these other uh, podcast hosts, uh, Cashfly and whatnot, uh, I think they should, uh, you know, beware the, the giant in the room, Apple. I like, the, I mean, I, I like seeing free more than I like seeing the word subscribe. I think the word subscribe scares people under the assumption that if I click that, somehow I'm going to have to start paying. The word subscribe, yes. to me, right. the assumption is there's a, that it's not free. Just something about that word. It's almost uh, like the timeshare people when you go to Vegas. It's, yeah. it's got that bad connotation. So, yeah, you know, they're locking me in. Exactly, exactly. And no. so if it says free, I would, I, I would prefer that. I think that but perhaps makes it more, what makes it more user-friendly. I've got to say I like the app. I've used it. Um, Sir Jimmy, you and I have used Downcast. I know that. I don't know if any of you other uh, hosts here have used any other aggregators. 
Uh, the thing I like about Downcast is as long as you leave it running in the background, it will download all your favorite podcasts. And when you go to listen to the podcast, they're already there for you. Now, the, the, the one advantage podcast app has over Downcast is the podcast app downloads the podcasts in the background regardless of whether or not it's running. I right. found that I launched the podcast app and there they are. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of, that, that explains something that happened to me last week because I only, I have an iPad that I play all my podcasts from, but it's only 16 gig, and, but I've never filled it up. I, I have maybe 30 or 40 songs on it. So the only thing that's really taken up space would be, you know, my podcast and some photos. Right. Well, last week, uh, all of a sudden, I was downloading some stuff through Downcast, and it said that it was all my iPad was filled up. And only here revisiting the podcast app over the weekend that I realized I've got 151 episodes of brain <laughs> stuff on here. And, you know, history according to Bob, I've got, you know, 38 of those. And, you know, in Downcast, I have one. You know, I listen to them, get rid of them. I've got, you know, uh, 90 episodes of No Agenda. So I need to go do some deleting. It's, gotta be a so, setting. it's yeah. nice. There's got to be a setting you can change there. Absolutely. Must be, but I need to revisit it. I think I might need to give this podcast app another try. Now, I'm using an iPhone 4 mostly to listen to my podcasts, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I find that the, the podcast app is still a bit clunky. It's still jittery, uh, slow pauses in certain spots. Uh, it is slow. Something they might fix in an update. Uh, and, and you're on an iPad 2, is that correct? Or iPad 3? iPad 2. Okay. And it's still slow on your much faster machine. Yes. Yeah. Oh well, uh, that's something that they probably fix in an update. Uh, I do like, however, if you're if you're uh, listening to a podcast, you grab the bottom of the ar- album art with one finger and swipe up, and you get to see the little tape to tape reel, <laughs> which must completely befuddle anyone under like thirty. <laughs> like, what the hell is that thing? Some kind of brown tape going between two big wheels. Well, that's cool. You just got. I didn't know no. about that. That is neat. For a li- uh, person that listens to a lot of podcasts, it's nice to have all of them in one spot. It's very easy to subscribe to all the updates, and they, you know, get automatically put on there. And I, you know, it's it's a pretty good app. It's a little slow at times, but I, I think it's a pretty good app. I got a little clip here from uh, Steve Jobs uh, announcing podcasts going into iTunes in the year two thousand five at D three. This one goes out to you, Mr. Adam Curry. I, Good for you. It's kind of interesting. There's no FCC regulation because you're not using Spectrum. You're using the Internet, so that makes it very simple. It's worldwide. You can put your radio show out there, and anyone in the world can listen to this. Um, so, again, it's sort of like TiVo for radio for your iPod. And you just subscribe to these things. Right. So let me show you what it's like. This is uh, the next release of iTunes called uh, Release 4.9, and I'm just going to run it right now. And I think this is the last time Steve Jobs did a live demo. And what we can do is we go to the music store, uh, and we can, uh, this is uh, not a live music, this is not the music store that's uh, live for everybody else, it's a little private one for us here. And uh, there's a little thing called podcasts right here, you click that, and we've got a page full of podcasts right here. And so, here's another, Adam Curry is uh, one of the guys that invented podcasting, and uh, he has a podcast called The Daily Source, let me go ahead and subscribe to that, and uh, we can go listen to his latest one. You know, just click on it. your daily source code, show number 180. Something remarkable is happening here. Radio is springing free of the regulated gatekeepers who've managed what you can hear since radio was invented. It's jumping into the hands of 
anyone at all with something or nothing to say. With 16 million dollars worth of airplanes strapped to my ass, and the next generation radio content in my ears, we don't need no stinking I like to think I'm flying into the future. Podcasting is Adam Curry. That's right, it's show number 180, and it's Friday, everybody. Thank God. I've actually had to restart the show three times. My Mac has been acting up like a motherfucker. I don't know what's going on. I think it's uh, something to do with uh, the file system. Okay. Uh, how do you... Uh, <laughs> just, I thought that was funny. But the, yeah, how many people got fired? <laughs> well, you know, well, the good thing he said is that uh, you know, podcasting is for people with something to say or like us, nothing to say. That's right. So that's good. <laughs> So yeah, a podcast app could be a really good thing for all of us in the podcasting, or it could be a really bad thing, depending on, on what Apple's motives are and separating it out. And uh, I think if they do remove it from iTunes and isolate it in that app, and they don't pre-install that app on the, the home screens, uh, you're going to see a big drop-off, at least in new listeners, uh, people who've never seen podcasting before. But, but if they do keep it in iTunes and add the, the button, uh, you're going to see millions more podcast listeners. Because a lot of people right now just can't find podcasting in the iTunes, or they just stay away from it because they don't know what the hell that means. But uh, if that nice, friendly button is there, the big blue button, gray or purple, I believe, is on the home screen, people might tap it. You know, they just bought a new phone. They don't know how it works. Click the button. There it goes. That would be great. Yeah. I still notice that, though. There's that one feature, the little radio dial feature, and it's just all mainstream stuff. It's all, you know, like NPR and Discovery. Oh, yeah, NPR is definitely... You go in to see what the top podcasts are, and it's like Adam Carolla and 15 NPR podcasts of all different flavors, and it's just they, they need to have like their own little site or something because uh, I get sick of seeing all that. Yeah, no kidding. If, if, if you look under sports, it's dominated by ESPN. If you look under, you know, again, the news, it's dominated by NPR and the networks. I am, I am concerned that as, it be, as podcast becomes more popular, uh, it can, becomes more professional, and I mean that in the bad way. Taken the, over by uh, networks, the big, by the big, by the big boys. Yeah, but if you notice, if you if you do watch a lot of the big networks now, they are pushing their podcasts. They're really flogging the podcast. I mean, as a defensive measure, uh, they're seeing a lot of young people turning to no agenda for news rather than you know CNN. But uh, CNN now is really pimping their podcasts on on the air. So that's where they're getting their you know half a million listeners or a million listeners and uh, that just brings them to the top 10 in iTunes and knocks out the little guy who, who struggled to get you know 200,000 listeners. And you wonder if those people, if they're coming just for that or if they are coming, hanging out at the podcast app, doing a little searching, po- you know, poking around, finding other things or whether when they come from one of those big, big organizations, whether they just come for that one thing and leave. Oh, you know, uh, when I started listening to podcasts, actually, I think one of the first things I, news app, uh, podcasts I downloaded was uh, the BBC World News. So, I mean, uh, initially, you, if you don't know what podcasts are, you're going to head for, you know, familiar names as well, right? You might type right. in ESPN or, you know, BBC Two, looking for your soccer news, uh, et cetera. But eventually, you might just, uh, you know, if you go many pages down the list, you might find something else interesting. You might find uh, Mike and Tom eat snacks. Yeah. <laughs> I still, I recommend the Clementine episode. And um, 
the Moon Pie and RC Cola episode. We we got to make them up some of your um, what do you call it the the edamame 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 yeah that's a, that's another great episode they introduced me to that oh did they but did they have the ghost pepper on it no they did not I'm saying I'm saying I'm gonna throw <laughs> some of my uh, my homemade piri piri hot stuff on there send them a bag <laughs> I think they only yeah. do retail products I don't think they do like random stuff that guys send them in a bag. <laughs> Oh, yeah, maybe not. It's probably a bad idea, folks. They actually did uh, these Kit Kats that were from Japan, and oh, they yeah, have like they, 10 they were, different I heard flavors of Kit, Kit Kat. Yeah, they're like shrimp flavor. and you know, like. Yeah, and uh, intense soybean roast, uh, melon, apple. They actually Crazy. sounded pretty good. Yeah, they did, and, and they seemed to enjoy almost all of them. I'm going to stick with dark with uh, chocolate, maybe go dark chocolate if I'm feeling bold. You are a wild man, Doctor. <laughs> uh, let us go on and do some... Comic books, comic books, comic books. Professor Allen, our resident comic book aficionado, my friend. Uh, oh, I like that. On, on the weekend, I uh, finally checked out the Doctor Who Star Trek Assimilation Squared series. I, down- I downloaded all three of the uh, current issues using the Comixology app, uh, oh, only, only because the iBooks app really isn't that great at, at uh, reading comics right now. It doesn't have all the features of the Comixology. Right. right. Again, I'm, I think I've said it before on the show, but three books cost me $9, and I read them in 10 minutes. Yeah, w- welcome to uh, Comic Books 2012. <laughs> I mean, there is so little text content you know what I mean, and and yes, yep. I, I I do stop to appreciate the art, but I'm I'm in the middle of a story. I'm not in an art gallery, so uh, as I read my comic book, yes, I appreciate the art. I, I look at it, I look at it well, but there's so little dialogue and, and actual writing in them. I picked up a uh, a big oversized hardcover from the public library that contains it's a collection of Jack Kirby and and. Uh, Joe Simon work, these the fellows that they also created Captain America. Uh, but this was some other comics that, that they did from in the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And you sit down to read one of those 14-page issues, it's going to take a little while. There are text bubbles on every, pa- on every, every, uh, every panel, has a caption and probably two pieces of dialogue. And it's, it's, it's going to take some time to, to uh, work your way through a, through a story as opposed to like you said, sitting down and in 10 minutes you've knocked out three issues and you're wondering, where'd my $11 go? Yeah, and, and you're a big fan of the, of the trade uh, collections. I am. And, and I did notice that in Comixology now, they are collecting you know, uh, whole years of, of books into, a, I guess, a digital version of that. And that might be the way to go. Uh, I mean, I should have waited to the end of the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover series, but uh, you know, I wanted to check it out for the show and uh, there goes nine bucks in 10 minutes. You know. Yeah, that that's an example. I mean, I, you know, it's at some point, I guess it's probably a six-issue series, probably, and at some point it'll be collected in in paperback for maybe twelve bucks yeah. or fourteen bucks, something like that. that. That said, I mean, if if uh, the Star Trek Next Generation crew uh, got together with the Doctor Who crew and they worked out the licensing, uh, this would make a really decent movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see this. Well done. I mean, uh, and they do kind of, you know, make little side jokes as, as far as the, you know, the, the Cybermen 
basically were the original Borg, and the Cybermen and the Borg are the enemies. That's in this. a good point. Uh, they 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 were the originals to say, you know, the your resistance is futile is actually a line from the Cybermen mm-hmm. that was uh, we'll 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 call it recycled for the uh, <laughs> Doctor for the uh, Star Trek universe. But in, very enjoyable. Uh, the reading experience on Comicsology is is great. Uh, you get the same kind of cloud uh, storage, sort of like iBooks, uh, where you, you know you sign in as long as you remember your name and your email and password. It does restore all your books to any device you're on, and uh, very good reading on the iPad. And I use the original iPad, and it's still uh, a great format for a comic book. Just wish the iPad was a little bit bigger, like comic size. That'd be neat. Yeah, the uh, the only uh, the the tablet that I have is a Nook Color, so if the size isn't quite right. I'm not not sure the app is is on there, so I have not I have not dipped into the digital uh, comics world myself. And Kamanzi is back. Hey, Kamanzi. Hey. <laughs> I didn't notice you were gone there, Kamanzi. Uh, Skype again. Uh, the great PR disaster of 2012 for Microsoft. So we were just talking some comic books, Kamanzi. And uh, I don't know if you are a uh, aficionado. Uh, a little bit. I probably would get in trouble if I talked to like the hard, hardcore comic book collectors. <laughs> <laughs> but I know enough. A lot of people poo-poo the comic books, and then uh, they all go watch uh, Avengers and X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, The Dark Knight. You know, if, you know the majority of people, oh, you read comic books, and then, uh, you know, 29 million of them go out and watch and spend, you know, 50 <laughs> bucks to watch Dark Knight. Yeah, no, there was, like, a lot of um, debate with The Dark Knight Rises, and it didn't stay true to the comic book, and all that was going on, or at least I heard a little bit of that. You know, you know uh, funny, I, I never realized that I just, just the other day I was on Netflix and uh, we, we all know that Christian Bale's done a fantastic job as the Dark Knight. Uh, if you want to see him uh, in his early days, like 10 years ago, I never realized that he was the bad guy in Shaft. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not, not the original, but, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> but the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, it was actually pretty good. And, and uh, it took me a while to figure out who is this kid? He looks so familiar. You know, apparently it was Christian Bale. And also the, the original actor to play Shaft plays um, Uncle Shaft in the, in the remake. Very, very well done. Good movie. And I, I know that, uh, you know, we don't, have, we don't have the Padre on the air right now. But early, early, early in, Chris, in uh, uh, Christian Bale's career, he played Jesus in a, uh, in a movie about Mary. So there you go. Well, probably the biggest uh, comic book news uh, this month is the 100th issue of Walking Dead. Ah, yes. Now, normally, the best-selling comic in a month might sell about 100,000 copies, maybe four or five uh, books in a month will top that figure. Walking Dead itself usually sells about 50,000 copies in a month. Uh, that, That does make it by the way, the biggest selling independent book every month that is not a Marvel or DC book. Wow. Now, now Walking Dead 100 sold over 360,000 copies in July. That's huge. And wow. it's probably That's it's huge. probably been selling more in August. I mean, it is huge. Obviously, obviously the TV show is bringing more and more fans to yeah. the uh, to the book. Now, um, now, you know, the, but, the comic and, and uh, the, uh, like the video game spinoffs and whatnot, uh, one thing I noticed that they suffer from, they suffer from the same thing that uh, a lot of the Lord of the Rings property, properties do, is that 
because uh, I believe it's HBO that that does uh, Walking Dead as well, or is it uh, AMC? Uh, AM, AMC. Yeah, uh, they get the license for The Walking Dead from the author and the, the publishing house, but they don't get the 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 license to use the you know the the familiar faces that we're familiar with from the TV show or the, the I was just playing it for us here the the theme song. So it's kind of it's off-putting when you when you launch the app uh, like a video game based on oh, right. Walking Dead and you don't get that same music or the people, the same character uh, likenesses. And uh, I, I know they, they they have that sometimes. I don't know if you ran across that in your your Doctor Who uh, Star Trek crossover. Sometimes in those books, you know, they have to be careful. They they had you know they can have Captain Kirk, but they can't have him look too much like William Shatner. Close enough so you recognize him, but not close enough that you have to pay William Shatner to use his image. Right. So no, like actually, you said, you there's know what, so believe many. It or not, in in that series, uh, they in the the latest one, the Assimilation Squared. Uh, they're spot on. I mean, it's right. almost like the, the artist was sitting there and, you know, pausing his TV and, you know, uh, drawing up Tom Baker. and uh, Right. So, uh, so sometimes you get that effect and almost if it's too, if, almost if it's too realistic, it can almost be a little off-putting too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like you're looking at a photograph. So it's, There's it's, nothing it's like a, a delicate panel, balance. Nothing like a panel with uh, Tom Baker offering uh, jelly babies to, to William Shatner. Kind of neat. <laughs> but Walking Dead, a phenomenon. I mean, uh, love the show. It's well done. AMC, I'd put them up there with uh, HBO as far as making good television. Yeah. That, that, uh, but this uh, issue 100, that's the largest uh, selling single issue of a comic in almost four years. Um, January 2009, an issue of Spider-Man, with a little help from having Barack Obama on the cover sold uh, about a half a million copies. And this Walking Dead 100 might get to a half a million. Well, see, and there's, it goes back to a lot of people saying, well, you know, people don't read comics anymore. Or they say, that, well, people aren't going to the movies anymore. And then all of a sudden, someone puts out a good comic book or a good book or a good movie. And all of a sudden, well, maybe it wasn't, uh, maybe it wasn't the, the genre or the, the format. Maybe it was you, you know. <laughs> we put out a good book, good comic book, good movie. And then all of a sudden, you know, 100 million people show up and buy it. And I mean, although to, to be fair, those numbers are far lower than they were 15, 20, 25 years ago. So there's definitely been a decline in in readership in comic books. There's oh, no way, of, no mean, way of getting around that. You know, uh, it used to be uh, we've said it before on the show, but it used to be that uh, if your kid was reading comics, he'd slap him in the head and hand him a novel. Uh, but nowadays, if your kid's reading comics, he's probably uh, headed for the gifted program. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, as he mentioned before the price you know at 12 cents a copy versus three dollars 99 cents might make a little difference in keeping yeah keeping kids away from they seem to be more affordably priced now in the digital format and uh that, that might that, help yeah i think it's going to help with the the younger people now especially with the the lower priced e-readers coming out you know the, the kindle for 79 dollars with a color screen and whatnot uh but i think right now they are pricing the comic books for the adult market so maybe that's kind of they've kind of shot right. themselves in the foot. Uh, yeah, maybe kids don't have fourteen ninety nine to spend every week on a Spider Man. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we need to return to you know maybe do a smaller format book like they have in in some European countries. It's a little tiny, about half the size. And you know, why don't they just experiment with some ninety nine cent comic books? I know it's uh, printing costs have gone up, but yeah. uh, throw some advertising like want, back in the day. Yeah, I. I, I I don't want to ask 
about the, you know, how old the panelists are, uh, the hosts here, but I remember back when I was a kid, you know, buying comics at the convenience store, at the drugstore, at yeah. the grocery store. Pretty much now you have to go to a comic store, and there's some sort of legal and distributional reasons for that, but that has been another uh, shooting in the foot of the industry. Yeah, every convenience store, at least here in, in Canada, used to have a, a comic, spinning comic rack. Now yeah, spinner rack, yeah. If they have a magazine rack, they'll have four or five different titles. But like I said, they're all eight ninety nine, twelve ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine. Right, right. Where it used to be that you'd be spending your candy money buying a book. And uh, I got to tell you though, one thing I got to say after reading a couple comics this week, uh, newer ones, there was a lot more text in, in the ones that I was reading when I was ten or five years old than than the ones that I'm reading now as an adult, paying you know fifteen dollars for. No doubt. All right, let's move on to a little bit of. News. Book news. It seems uh, e-books are getting a little bit more popular these days. It seems like they, uh, they're they saying they doubled in popularity in 2011. Yeah, looking like they outsold hardcovers even. No. How, bad, how much of that is Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Probably a lot. <laughs> I was just actually just browsing the uh, the iTunes top 10 and... Uh, uh, at least on iBooks, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, tons, tons. Uh, we, we talked about this again before the, on previous shows, but it uh, looks like a lot of ladies who uh, wouldn't go into like a Chapters or Indigo bookstore uh, and buy something a little risque uh, have no problem doing it in the privacy of their own home. <laughs> it's easy to, to, to buy uh, books that uh, deal with uh, adult situations, we'll call them. Them. Yeah, on uh, on one of my favorite websites, I waste so much time dot com. There was uh, somebody <laughs> they took a, a picture of a post it note this kid left for his mother that said, uh, "Mom, you know I, I don't uh, you don't see me uh, downloading and watching porn in the living room, uh, so please stop reading this book when I'm on the couch with you." <laughs> <laughs> and folks, you got to be careful too, because a lot of people uh, like myself we share an iTunes account. Uh, with our family only because uh, then uh, you can, you know, you share the media. Yeah, right? the iCloud. Yeah, it gets you. Through the iCloud. And the iCloud will bite you in the ass if you're buying something risque. You know, if mom buys uh, 50 shades of uh, whatnot, it might just pop up on, you know, it might pop up on your son's iPad. So yep. <laughs> make sure that you're, uh, you have separate accounts for that. Uh, we do it here at work because, uh, I mean, you buy an app, right, and it costs you $70 and it pops up on every computer for the same price, up to, I believe, 10 computers. Uh, but if you do turn that uh, iCloud sharing on, uh, anything you buy through the iBook store is going to automatically start downloading to your son's uh, iPod. <laughs> and, 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 and when you get the, you know, if you get the whole family buying stuff with different tastes, you've got to wonder what it's going to come up with recommendations. Yes. To try, I, I, to try to combine all of those Absolutely. Things. And uh, we had uh, my f- good friend Taryn Santos had his, his, uh, his kid was over, Maya, and uh, she was kind of bored here. So we put uh, the Netflix on, the Apple TV here in the shop. And uh, Maya, Uncle Paul is getting a lot of recommendations now for cartoons. So <laughs> <laughs> it is, they should have a way to fix that. I mean, they should be able to say, uh, you know, you should be able to have a, a toggle. Do not count anything I'm doing right now for my recommendations, especially yeah, if you're like letting... a like a guest account. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, they don't, so be careful, folks, with the iCloud uh, thing. One thing I noticed too is the iTunes Music. Same thing. All of a sudden, you know, 
um, get some strange music playing through a shuffle on your iTunes is because you have that iCloud syncing on, and uh, you know now you're listening to mom's music. <laughs> you know, it goes from like death metal to like you know Paul Anka cups blaring out the speakers. Well, watch out for the photos too. Those photos come on there. Photos or videos that you take. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, very careful, folks, also with the photo stream. Absolutely. <laughs> you never know who's watching. Pretty scary. Uh, let's do a little bit of books on film and television. Oh, the Life of Pi coming to theaters November 12th, 2012. And, of course, the echo in the background brought to you by Skype. Uh, Life of Pi I I just read this one it was recommended to me by Chris the book guy uh, probably like episode 4 of this show and um, it's about a young gentleman named Piscine Molitor Patel Uh, he's named after a swimming pool in France so his actual name is uh, the Molitor uh, Molitor Swimming Pool Patel so he changes his name to Pi because everyone in his school is calling him Pissing Pissing Patel, because uh, they can't pronounce, you know, swimming pool in French. In French. So, uh, uh, but Mr. Patel's uh, father owns a zoo in uh, Pondicherry in India. And, uh, you know, he learns the trade from his dad. You know, he helps him out at the zoo. You know, learns a lot about animal training, psychology, and whatnot. And, um, you know, Pai is born a Hindu. But at, four, at, four, at 13 or 14, I can't remember... Um, he uh, discovers Christianity and Islam, and he starts following all three, which is interesting. You know, this young kid in India who's a Hindu, Christian, you know, Muslim. Uh, eventually, the, the family uh, decides this is set during the time of uh, of Gandhi, of uh, the female Gandhi, who was the president in India, prime minister, and they decide they don't like the conditions in India. That's turning too much into a, like a police state and. They just don't like the politics of it. So they decide to move to Canada. So they sell most of their animals and, uh, and move to Canada. But they take some of the animals with them on a ship. And uh, the ship sinks. It's a couple days out of port. It sinks. And uh, the story, uh, this is basically the second part of the story, is Pi ends up on a small lifeboat with a Bengal tiger named Richard Parker, a spotted hyena, and an injured zebra and an orangutan. So this is the tale of uh, Mr. Pai, Pasin Malter Patel, surviving on this raft for over 250 days. And uh, eventually ends up with just him and the tiger. You'll never guess what happens to the other animals with the tiger on board. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Pai, you know, he tries to, you know, he has some animal training experience and uh, really quickly, really quickly tries to become the alpha, you know, animal on the, on the boat. Uh, and he survives. This is a tale of his survival, and it's got a really neat twist ending. Uh, I just really enjoyed this book, and I, I'd love to see it, what they do with it on the screen. I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be a fantastic movie, but uh, give it a shot, guys. Life of Pi. Uh, it is as bizarre as it sounds, and it, uh, most of it does take place. Just a, It's just a kid on a boat with a tiger, and uh, good times. Really good book. Really enjoyed it. Uh, heartwarming and... Uh, right early on in the novel, I think in the first few pages, it says, uh, you know, this guy survives, so it's not a tale of, you know, it's not a disaster story. Uh, it's a tale of survival, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people claim this was a true story, but I think he, he just wrote something like that into the book just to sort of 
You know, it's a work of fiction. He can write whatever he wants into it. You know, <laughs> like a lot of times, folks, when you see when you see based on a true story in somewhere in the book, that could be fiction too. It's a work of fiction. You know, <laughs> there's nothing stopping a writer from writing it. Page one. This is a true story. Doesn't mean it's a true story. So we did the research for you, folks. It is not a true story, but uh, it's won a lot of awards. And uh, surprised it never hit my radar. You know, if they go to uh, bookguys.ca slash audible, it is available. I'm seeing it now. Ooh, I wonder who reads it. I should have uh, listened to it. Let's take a look. We go, all you got to do, folks, you go to audible.com. Go to bookguys.ca slash audible, and you get the free There's trial. actually two versions, one read by Carrie Shale, K-E-R-R-Y, and Jeff Woodman. Hmm. All right, let's take a look at the unabridged, because I always go for the unabridged. No offense to Mrs. Carrie Shale. I'm sure she does a great reading. Uh, that's a six-hour version. But, uh, I mean, I, I can't even picture reading this without with cutting parts out. It, there's nothing I can think of to cut out. So, yeah, cutting uh, half of it seems pretty yeah. ex- extensive. Let's go with Jeff Woodman's version. Let's take a listen to the sample here from uh, Audible. And anacondas. A sloth's hairs shelter an algae that is brown during the dry season and green during the wet season, so the animal blends in with the surrounding moss and foliage and looks like a nest of white ants or of squirrels or like nothing at all but part of a tree. The three-toed sloth lives a peaceful vegetarian life in perfect harmony with its environment. A good-natured smile is forever on its lips, reported Turler, 1966. I have seen that smile with my own eyes. I am not one given to projecting human traits and emotions onto animals, but many a time during that month in Brazil, looking up at sloths in repose, I felt I was in the presence of upside-down yogis deep in meditation or hermits deep in prayer, wise beings whose intense imaginative lives were beyond the reach of my scientific probing. Sometimes I got my majors mixed up. A number of my fellow religious studies students muddled agnostics who didn't know which way was up, who were in the thrall of reason that fools gold for the bright, reminded me of the three-toed sloth, and the three-toed sloth, such a beautiful example of the miracle of life, reminded me of God. Again, as usual, audible picking, probably the worst uh, part of the book to showcase what it's all about. <laughs> I mean, that, would, uh, that whole section there would probably be the last choice I would make. Uh, again, Bad Audible, bad on the, uh, the the preview there, but it is a 14-minute long preview. You can listen to it. Just go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys, and you can actually get Life of Pi free just for trying them out for a month. Uh, they don't make you stay on. They don't They don't send, like, Audible police to your home and force you to stay on, but you can give the, sh- the, the you know, give it a try and get the book for and, free. And, uh, no, my, uh, my daughter had to read that for one of her college classes. She would have appreciated having the Audible version, I'm sure. Yeah, 11 hours and 35 minutes for the full book, and it's the kind of thing you can do on your commute. So, you know, in a week, uh, just on your drive home and to work, you could probably get it, get it free. Life of Pi by Yann Martell. Big thumbs up on that one, and I can't wait to see the movie. We'll probably talk about it here on the show when it comes out. And let's see, other book news. Moving on, gentlemen, moving on. Number of women are now moving up the Forbes list of top earning authors. Uh, this is uh, happening this year, and uh, of course, a lot of it, uh, as you guys are saying, the Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, which is currently in the middle of a film right bidding war. 
Can you imagine uh, all the people fighting for this? But I don't see how they can make this, uh, just from the little I've heard about it, into a film that would be restricted. I think it'd have to be unrated. You know, I, think, I think the whole appeal of this series is that it's uh, pretty much close to X-rated, if not there. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can, uh, the, the Forbes list, top earning authors, uh, James Patterson, of course, and Stephen King, still the top. Uh, Stephen King writing his own work, James Patterson with a team full of monkeys on typewriters. <laughs> Is, are you guys still into the, the James Patterson? I, I can't, you know, I see them. They're in every Walmart checkout line, and, and uh, it's hard to tell which ones he had anything to do with or other ones if he just stamped his name on anymore. Wasn't there some sort of stat that oh, it was during the 2000s, or maybe just one year in particular, that one out of every, I don't know, 15 books sold was a James Patterson novel or something? Yeah, something probably. crazy like that? <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you what, when that guy dies, they're not going to tell anybody. No. Exactly. No, exactly. exactly. He released what, four, 14 titles between May of 2011 and this May. What you're going to see is it's going to say by uh, James Patterson with like a little R. Right. You know, or you know, registered <laughs> trademark. Oh, they'll keep him on life support. Uh, $94 million he made personally in, uh, from adult thrillers and fantasy sci-fi novels and move rights, movie rights last year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King's on the list uh, for something he actually wrote himself. Eleven twenty two sixty three, which we've discussed here on the podcast as well, uh, about the assassination of JFK. And, uh, of course, he's uh, sold some TV rights and movie rights for... You know, the Dark Tower and the JFK as well. But uh, you got people like Suzanne Collins, Hunger Games, up there. Uh, she's number nine on the list now, making $20 million. Uh, the highest paid woman, Janet Ivanovich, $33 million. Nora Roberts, $23 million. Of course, Stephanie Meyer's still up there with all the Twilight fans, $14 million. And uh, J.K. Rowling, $17 million. Uh, flogging her books there on... Uh, What's it? Pottermore? Pottermore.com? Yep. Doing well, but uh, it's nice to see uh, almost a 50-50 split, men and women, at the, the top earning authors now. I mean, this was male-dominated for decades. It's a good thing. And Bill O'Reilly's there. I don't have my douchebag jingle, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's doing well also with his, his historical books. Uh, apparently, they're, they're interesting. Killing Lincoln and Killing Kennedy uh, are two of them. And he just uh, puts a spin on uh, some historical events. But again, uh, I think Bill O'Reilly might, might be going the, uh, the Patterson route. I doubt he wrote most of, the, wrote most of those books. Anyways. Uh, George R. Martin, he's in there, of course. Uh, just joining the hey. top 15 for the first time. $15 million. Good for him. Dirty Santa, as we like to call him. <laughs> Have you read his books? <laughs> if you've read his books, you know why we call him Dirty Santa. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's the same. If you have a ghostwriter, I, I don't know. It, it just seems. I don't know if I'd be into the books from an author that has a ghostwriter. Yeah, you know, I enjoy the, the Stephen Kings, and uh, he always comes out with something fresh and new. But he writes it himself, and he comes out with a book every year, not fourteen. Yeah. You know, we're talking like uh, some of the Patterson books are pretty lengthy novels. And I mean, to put out 14, and I'm not saying they're not quality books. They probably are all quality books, and I've read a lot of them. Um, I just don't know if he actually wrote them or not. He's become more of a franchise than anything. Yep. 
I know, Comanzi, you write all your own books. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> now, I know you got to go, Comanzi, and uh, Professor Allen, thanks for joining us this week. Always a pleasure, Paul. Glad to, glad to have the show back. Excellent. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me again, Paul. I, you know, I love the show. Big fan. You know, I'm excited to see you uh, get bigger and bigger. And if you get famous before me, don't forget me. Oh, we won't. We won't forget you, especially <laughs> you're, you're touring the world now with your uh, your speaking engagements. You know, we got to get you a book guy's hat to wear while you're doing them. Yeah. <laughs> and either way, if I'm not speaking in Toronto, I still got to come out and visit. Absolutely. Always welcome, my friend. And uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. And we'll be back, folks, with our guests for the evening, Richard Goodship and Father Robert Balliser from This Week in Enterprise Technology. Imagine the confusion of the person who just occasionally tunes in to C-SPAN. Shyster. I've had enough of this idiot. And what do we have on the news? Part two. PSA <laughs> deserves a tenth because nothing has happened. He's full of crap from the beginning. Genetically modified crap. Crops exist. We must. Gene, I save Al. And you can always follow me on Twitter. I know a lot of people want to send blankets or water. Just send your cash. You can take that to the bank. Well, that's a chicken shit thing. Well, he is a douche. They're all douchebags. I can't listen to it anymore. The other potential side effects of news include fear, aggression, tunnel vision, and desensitization. It's douchebaggery, I tell you. Thank you so much for listening. There is hope out there. We might be the future of news. No Agenda is the best podcast in the world. Take No Agenda. May cause anal leakage. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill. In the morning. Dvorak.org slash N-A. And we're back from break, and we have two special guests, Sir Jimmy. We have Father Robert Balliser from This Week in Enterprise Technology on the line. Hello, Father. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming. And uh, also joining us is Richard Goodship, author. Hello, Richard. Hi. Great to be here. Great. Skype is holding up. <laughs> Everyone cross your it's fingers. It's a minor miracle. <laughs> uh, we'll start talking to the Father, uh, Father Robert Balliser. Do I call you Father? Do I call you Robert? Uh, you know, most people nowadays just call me Padre. Padre, yes. Padre SJ, it of works. course, being your handle. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's play the jingle just because we can. Podcasts. That's right. It's not just books, folks. We talk books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. And uh, the, one of the newest podcasts on the This Week in Tech Network, the Twit Network, uh, is This Week in Enterprise Tech. Now, uh, I'm assuming you're not talking about, uh, you know, the photon torpedoes and transporters. <laughs> <laughs> we get that all the time, actually. There are some twits who actually thought we were going to start a Star Trek show, but no, no, no. This is enterprise as in networking, servers, and desktops. Uh, I've, I've seen a couple episodes, and uh, wow, it's a great video. You, go, you do remotes, you go on location. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about it. Well, this has been an idea that has been cooking in Leo Laporte's mind for quite a while. He's had many fans who wanted a enterprise podcast because, I mean, that's what most of Windows is. That's what most of the network is. But the problem is, how do you take a subject that is, and I will admit this, absolutely boring and turn it into something that people will actually watch? Uh, And so what we try to do is give a nice mix of stuff that actual enterprise professionals will use 
uh, a few videos that are for enterprise execs who may not know that much about the technology, but perhaps want to know what their IT guys are talking about. And then just common information for the average geek who wants to know how the world is connected. Right. Like for someone like me who uh, I'm not interested in running a server farm, but it is interesting to, to watch as you, you know, uh, learn a little bit more about it, how it works in, in general terms. And, but you do get into the nitty gritty of, uh, of how exactly everything put, is put together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're trying to do something for everyone. So for the IT professional, we'll actually show you how to do something like set up 802.11x and do a VPN from a client to the router. Now, for the average user who just listened to that and said, well, what the heck are you talking about? That's where we also explain, okay, if you don't do that, this is what people can see as you use your computer, as you're on the network. Uh, so, you know, we, we really try to, to you know, do the 10,000-foot view for everybody else, and then we get to the nitty-gritty so that the enterprise professional can actually sit down and say, hey, I, I walked away from this podcast, and I have something new in my skill set. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm watching uh, at least to find out how to wire up the new uh, video podcast studio here. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And actually, uh, you know, we've, we're working on another set of podcasts that might uh, be of interest. We're getting on this big maker kick right now. So Ayaz is doing a podcast called Know How, where every week he will take you through a different topic. And so far he's had uh, know how to jailbreak your iPhone, know how to solder, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's really for the maker community. But we're going to get even more in-depth, and one of the things I was pitching was doing an entire series on actual podcasting, know how to podcast. And we would take you from beginning to end, from what software do you use to what are the mics or cameras that you should be buying to you know what are the, the pitfalls, the things that suck people in that you need to avoid when you're creating a new podcast. It, it should be a lot of fun. Oh, you know, to be honest, I, I would pay to watch a podcast, uh, just you di- <laughs> dissecting the Twit studio because... I mean, they, they've got it going on. And uh, one of the things we're trying to figure out here is how, how to get the guests in studio to be able to hear the guests on Skype without feedbacking the mics. You know, stupid little things like that, but uh, things that I'm sure that uh, someone if, with know-how, you know, can explain in five minutes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, <clears throat> sorry, Leo's done a great job of turning the industry on his head because the conventional wisdom was if you wanted to start a studio – the most expensive equipment there are your cameras and your cameraman. That's actually a huge expense. So Leo said, wait a minute, why do we need cameramen? Instead, he bought 40 high-definition cameras, has them placed all over the studio on the different sets, and then you can switch back and forth on the TriCaster. You, you avoid having to have a camera person, and yet you get the flexibility of a full studio. Same thing with, with the audio. You know, uh, as, as you've mentioned, Skype is great, but Skype cuts out sometimes and it's frustrating. So we've always found it's better to be in studio. So how do you balance your Skype presence with your in-studio presence? It's one of the things that we're, we're definitely going to be discussing on that podcast. And uh, this week in enterprise technology, you know, on your third episode, I believe? Uh, actually, we, <laughs> it depends how you count it because we've okay. actually done a couple of future episodes. I banked two episodes. Okay. So, so technically, we're in episode five. We're going into episode six tomorrow. Oh, excellent. Excellent. It's always good to have episodes banked so you don't end up with a one-month hiatus like we did. Yeah, right. we always, yeah. We always yeah. talked about having an evergreen show or two in the, you know, in the vault, and it never really, uh, never really materialized, did it, Paul? No, no. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, and, yeah, I, I, I feel the need because I, I was a YouTube podcaster way, way, way back. 
And one of the things that I noticed is I had developed a, a big audience where I was I was getting, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 views per episode. And then I, I got sporadic and I wasn't doing every week. And it's amazing how fast your viewership drops off yes. if you're not consistent. Now, here's the question. How does a Jesuit priest end up as the host of a <laughs> technology show on the Twit Network? Tell us how that came about. That's a great question. Uh, you know, the answer I always give is that I was a geek way before I was a priest. You know, I've, been, I've been a Jesuit for almost 20 years, but I've been a, a geek for almost 40. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of these things where it's always been a passion of mine. I, I love technology. I love what it can do. I love thinking of, of technological solutions to problems. And so when this opportunity came up, not only did I want to do it, but my superiors were great. I mean, my religious order is, is sort of like that. If you don't know the Jesuits, all you have to know is that in the United States, we run 28 colleges and universities and about 65 high schools. Education's a big thing for us. And so every time we get the opportunity to let our, our guys, our Jesuits, do something that's different, we love doing it. So, um, Father, we got all the swearing out of the show uh, before you arrived. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> it was Adam Curry. It's all his fault. Oh, <laughs> you had Curry on. Oh, my goodness. No, we just played a clip from Curry. Curry has promised to be on, but uh, he's on the road right now doing his Hot Pockets 2009. Uh, we'll have him on a future episode. Maybe we'll have him together with you. That'll be fun. <laughs> the last time I was on a podcast with Adam Curry, he pulled out a what he called a handgun, but it fired shotgun shells. <laughs> yes, the, the judge. The judge. <laughs> the judge. I give him a wide berth. Yes. <laughs> well, as long as you're not infringing on his rights, uh, don't tread on him. Yeah, Adam say. came up with what I thought was the best nickname uh, for you, Father, and and I, I'm sure you heard it, Friar Tech. Absolutely. He came up with the uh, the moniker Friar Tech, which... I, I think it's marketing genius, and it's it's perfect for me because I am, well, let's say I'm a, I'm a bit plumper. I'm a bit more rotund than a typical host. Uh, the the one problem I had with it was Friar is typically associated with Franciscans, and uh, oh, yes. they're, they're mortal enemies of the of the Jesuits. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, this week in enterprise technology, where can people uh, check out the show? Well, uh, we do film live every Monday at uh, 12 o'clock noon, PST or PDT, depending on how you're counting it. And um, then we release about three or four hours afterwards. And we, we go every week. What I always tell people is, yeah, go ahead and download a couple of episodes. But if you can, watch us live because there is something about the live show. There's something about being able to chat in the chat room that uh, just adds another dimension to, um, uh, to, to the entertainment of the podcast. I, I'm sure you get this a lot, which is we're not just creating something that kind of duplicates what we've had for years and years with traditional mass media, but we're trying to create communities, not just content. Right. right. I mean, uh, like uh, Kamanzi Constable, who was just on the show as a guest uh, host, uh, he was just an author who contacted us through Twitter, and we get a lot of that. The community uh, recommends uh, guests and right. topics and really help out with the show. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a powerful force to tap into. I mean, if you can figure out the secret sauce of, of, the, of the audience, then you've got something that no network, no matter how much they've got behind them, can do. And that's, uh, it's an amazing right. thing. And we, and we don't uh, rely on focus groups. And, uh, you know, we 
connect with our audiences a lot quicker and we can respond and change the shows, change the format and, and really respond to what they want and uh, grow our audience that way. Well, I think that's what makes you so much fun. There you go. <laughs> and Father, you're more than welcome to come on anytime as a guest and uh, talk books because I know you're a reader. Yes, yes. You're a reader and, and I believe you're also a listener. I am a reader and a listener. And um, I got to say, of all the book podcasts I've ever heard, you are definitely the most entertaining. Oh, you know what? I'm clipping that out. That's going to be our promo from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, uh, I, I had a little situation. I broke my Kindle about uh, a month ago. Yikes. And um, I, I was just dying <laughs> because I, I, I was on the road and I wasn't able to replace it. And then... Um, I got back this Galaxy Nexus, sorry, not Galaxy Nexus, a Nexus 7 tablet from Google I.O. Um, and I completely forgot that I could just load the Kindle application on it. And so I loaded it back up and I've been diving into three different books that um, have just been, you know, filling up all my spare time. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I, as a book reviewer and a book show host, uh, one of the reasons I use the iPad, although it's harder to read because of the, the bright light, uh, it's because I can load all the different apps on it and, and read books that may not be on certain stores. So it gives Absolutely. me more flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, it, it pains me because the Kindle app is great because I can have it on my laptop, on my, uh, on my tablet, on my phone. But it's not as slick as the Google Reader app. Unfortunately, right. all my books are in Kindle. So, you know, that's where I live. Yeah. I think the Google Reader app and the iBooks app are the slickest uh, of them all. As far as the page turns and just the the crispness of the right of the text, yeah. yeah. So, Father, uh, will you stick around with us? And uh, we're going to chat with Richard Goodship, and we may need a priest to consult on some of these religious <laughs> aspects of his book. Of course, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to. Oh, it's it's a ghost story. <laughs> it is a ghost story. Richard Goodship, the author of The Camera Guy. Hello, sir. Hello. How you doing? Good. Uh, to, uh, in all fairness to uh, Father Robert, uh, I was born and raised Roman Catholic, just so you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, the furthest we get to be, usually in the religious conversation here, is when I play the bathroom Bible jingle and everyone yells at me. So... <laughs> Well, you know, Father, have you heard our bathroom Bible jingle? I have not, but I, I will say that uh, using the bathroom at the appropriate time can be a religious experience. There you, there you go. So this is our, here. I'll play the jingle for you just before we uh, do speak with Richard here. Bathroom Bible. There you go. Nice. So that the, is nice. Yeah, the, the definition of that one is actually it's a, it's a book that you can read uh, in spits and spurts and little chunks and. You can go back and forth, kind of like the Holy Bible, where you can just open it up, you know, anywhere and read a, a chapter or a page or a section, and it's still relevant. And, uh, you know, I've been told by a local priest here that uh, there's nothing blasphemous about combining the two words, and that he said, he actually told me that uh, if more people had uh, Bibles in their bathrooms, it'd be a better world. <laughs> you know, I'll go a step further, and I'll just say that a little blasphemy every once in a while is good for the soul. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so, Richard, t tell us a bit about your book, The Camera Guy, and uh, what it's all about. And I just finished that yesterday. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you did. Um, the Camera Guy is, to, to put it 
in brief terms, was my form of therapy uh, after retiring. Uh, I'm a former police officer, retired forensic investigator, and I actually spent almost 23 years in forensics. As I was going to ask you about the, the research, and it did sound like you had some connection to uh, policing. I, yeah, I've been doing it, it a long time. It shows uh, through in the book. You really you nailed everything. Well, thank you. Um, what I didn't want to do was I didn't want it to be a CSI uh, techno babble book about, uh, you know, throwing in a lot of scientific right. terms and stuff, because we really don't use those scientific terms. I mean, we may write them down in our reports, but we don't talk that way. And right. um, the camera guy is a forensic investigator, Bill Walters, and it's uh, more about the man, uh, you know, uh, the difficulties that he goes through. There's a bit of a slant in the fact that he sees the spirits of the people he's investigating, and at some point uh, he ends up having to deal with uh, a rather uh, evil spiritual presence. Uh, and what I wanted to do was basically, the scenes in the book are actually scenes I investigated. I've had to change some uh, to fit the story and also just, you know, I didn't want uh, surviving family members going, oh my God, that's, right. you know. So the names have been changed to protect the innocent, as they used to say on Dragnet. Basically, yeah, exactly. Um, it's about a, about his travel through, you know, uh, his belief system. Uh, he was originally Roman Catholic. Uh, he uh, he felt that he was slighted, you know, with with uh, as a result of his special uh, problem shunned by uh, his family and friends, workers, and, and by uh, the church. And yeah, and by the church. Now he eventually ends up having to go back to the church and do back to his his once friend, uh, a priest. And I leave it up to the reader at the end as to whether or not he's actually found uh, any kind of faith again, whether or not uh, uh, most of the feedback has been uh, positive. So I'm kind of kind of hoping that everything fit into the story well. Yeah, it did. And, and uh, he goes through the story, and he is he is a forensic... He's the guy who takes the pictures. Yeah, he's a forensic investigator. And one of the nicknames that we have is... Uh, the camera guy, uh, ident guy, ghoul squad, okay. uh, you know. <laughs> Richard, where are you from? Where were you a police officer? I was a police officer in North Bay, and okay. then uh, I eventually moved south and uh, finished off my uh, my last five and a half, six years with uh, the Attorney General's office out of Toronto. Okay. It gave me a lot of experience, a lot of insight. Um, 23 years is a long time for a forensic investigator. Yes. Uh, usually 10 years is, is the normal run because it does get, uh, it does get, it does get a bit much. I get a call out and it'd be 30, 40 hours before I saw a bed again. Um, and let's face it, when you call us, it's never good. Right. So usually seeing the worst that humans can do to one another. Absolutely. You're always called in after the fact on a, Something yeah, warm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't walk around following people with a chalk That's right. so I can do do their outline. <laughs> so you uh, your your book is now being turned into a feature film, I believe. Yeah, uh, principal shooting uh, is supposed to begin uh, either late spring or early summer of next year. Uh, it's in pre production phase right now. I'm learning uh, a whole slew of new uh, jargon. Pre-production, uh, DP, director of photographer, uh, 
director of photography, uh, you know, FX, special effects. Now, uh, do you have a script writer, uh, sorry, a screenplay uh, writer, or are you doing any part of that? No, uh, I'm consulting on it. Uh, just they wanted to make sure that they, they stayed with the uh, uh, the theme of the story. Right. One, one of the problems that it was explained to me, and, and I actually saw what what kind of a problem it is right off the bat, was turning a book into a film. And one of the problems is, is time. Right. Timing. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you've got to entertain the audience for two hours. If you start going over the two hour limit, they get uncomfortable, they get bored. So they, they want to kind of keep that, keep it within that two hour limit. And basically what the uh, director told me after he read the book is, is okay, you're very wordy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And basically what that means is, is, because you're you're writing a book and you have to have the reader envision what it is you're trying to tell them, uh, you go through long descriptors, right. and uh, they don't need that. Uh, in, I'm sure uh, it does help them when they're trying to set up the scene or you know do the storyboard and uh, set up the location. I mean, if that's you... actually yeah, that's actually in the production uh, department as uh, as far as they're concerned. Right. As far as actual shooting, if it's outside, all they got is exterior alleyway, right? And they let the production team decide how that's going to look and they'll go back to the book for, for, for help for that. But as far as an actual script is concerned, I was amazed at how fast they went through and redlined, you know, right. what, uh, what they didn't want, what they thought they didn't need. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it works. Uh, they sent the book down to uh, Los Angeles to a couple of screenwriters down there for the second draft. So we're kind of waiting anxiously to see how that's going to come back. I've uh, taken part in some scouting locations. Uh, so will it be local? Will it be here in the Toronto area? Most of it will be shot in the Toronto area. Yeah. The, Toronto's got some excellent uh, studio facilities, uh, same as Vancouver. Uh, Holly, as, Hollywood North, they call it. Yeah. I was, I was extremely amazed at uh, the level of sophistication. Uh, you know, they've got everything that Hollywood has up here. There are uh, a lot of FX companies, uh, computer graphic companies uh, uh, in Toronto do an awful lot of work. That's one for, thing I wanted to ask you about. I mean, the, the, from reading the book, it's got to be really computer, uh, you know, CGI heavy with some of the scenes as far as the, uh, you know, the, the apparitions and whatnot. I would have thought so too, but when uh, they took me to meet the the, uh, the company that they hired to do the special effects, and I was talking with the guys. And they had been given a copy of the book to read. And uh, they were very excited about working on it. But they said, yeah, this is going to be a breeze. And I'm sitting there going, well, how? You know, I mean, and they showed me some of the uh, the trailers that they're working on out of Hollywood. And I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, you guys know, you know, for you, it's easy. For me, it's not. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious to get, uh, to get on, uh, on set when they start shooting. Just to see it come to life, really. Oh, absolutely. That would be exciting. So you'll be allowed to be on, on set and uh, are you going to be consulting as a writer as well during the shooting uh, process? I don't, I don't know if I'm actually going to be consulting as, as a writer, uh, like as far as the script is concerned. By then, um, you know, if they make changes to the script, it'll be uh, simply because, you know, the way the shooting or something, maybe they feel it doesn't work or the, or the, the dialogue doesn't work for them. But as far as uh, the technical aspects, as far as the forensics, Police procedures and stuff. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be there as a consultant for that. Uh, so, are they going to have the credits before the movie or after the movie? I'd get my agent involved and, and pressure <laughs> him. 
you know, get that in there while the butts are in the seats. One of the biggest things I, I, I found was uh, I don't have people. They talk about, okay, you know, our, my people will get a hold of your people. I'm sitting there going, well, I don't have people. <laughs> you know, and, I, and they said, well, you should get something. I'm sitting there going, you're kidding me. I, I'm a retired cop on a pension with a daughter in Australia in university going through for international medicine. Just do, do, do what I do. Just do a different voice. on. The, you got to do an impression on the, on the phone. Uh, you know, yeah. then say, oh, I'll get Paul for you in a second. One sec, sir. I guess so. You know, just ruffle papers or something and uh, play some uh, elevator music while I'm waiting to get up back on the line or something. Uh, now, we have uh, Father Ballester on the line with us. Uh, part of the, the problem that your main character has is, uh, you know, trying to explain to anyone uh, about his abilities or his curse, we'll call it maybe, uh, where he can see the spirits. And uh, uh, Father, uh, someone approaching a priest in modern day, you know, North America and telling them I can see dead people. <laughs> what's what's step one the, the, for the priest? Well, uh, I I don't have to theorize on this because that, that's actually a regular occurrence. And uh, step one is always therapy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is. There you um, go. Yeah. It's it's you know if if someone came up to me and they started telling me that they saw the spirits of the dead. And they started telling me, I, no spoilers, but started telling me that they're seeing these souls, bad things happening to these souls. Um, my first thing would be, well, is this person going to hurt himself? Or is this, you know, is this a, a manageable psychosis? Right. And if this person was going to hurt himself, I actually have a pocket full of numbers that I call. And, uh, you know, within an hour, I get this person help. That's, that's sort of standard operating procedure for us now. And the Padres are right. And actually, that's... Uh, it, in in the book, uh, Bill goes through a lot of that, uh, where he's actually uh, institutionalized during the uh, initial, uh, uh, the earlier on, years before. Uh, the, the book actually catches up with him uh, 16 years after uh, the incident uh, that initially happens to him. Which brings us to our next question. Uh, since uh, the incident happened 16 years before the book starts, are we going to be seeing a prequel or a sequel? There is a sequel in the works. Uh, I've already started, uh, I guess, about three chapters in. It's going to be different because it's going to be the last of that particular series. That's originally how I intended. I, I didn't want to start running with a series, three, four, five, six books, where you actually end up, you know, rehashing a lot of stuff. Right. And I just wanted to keep it to two books. So it was always envisioned as, a, as, as just a two-book series. But yeah, there, there's definitely going to be a, a second book. i got to hit you up for an autographed copy before uh, you go all Hollywood and you get all the people. i got no problem scratching my name on the face <laughs> of your Kindle. There you go. <laughs> now, uh, Richard, I, I have a question for you. Um, okay. As, as someone who has created uh, what looks to be a really cool thriller, there's got to be a lot of pride in seeing it turned into a movie, but I, I would assume that there's also a little bit of apprehension. You were talking about what happens when it goes to the production people and they have to start changing elements of the books to, to fit an actual shooting uh, schedule. How much of, of the enthusiasm is tempered by, oh my goodness, I hope they, they stay true to my book? Oh, it, there's a lot of that. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm new at the writing uh, just writing the book was, was terror. It was something I, ha I felt I had to do um, with Peg Leg Annie in the book. Uh, that's a bit of a 
my own, she actually existed. That was kind of my own personal uh, asking of forgiveness for, for Peg Leg Annie. The book itself, when I finally finished it and I thought, okay, what am I going to do with it? You know, the fear was there. How are people going to receive it? Are they going to like it? So I'm actually kind of used to that fear. It's a different fear now because it's okay, you know, uh, are they going to turn it into the lawnmower man, you know, uh, i.e. Stephen King. Right. Uh, and uh, Or the running man with Arnie Schwarzenegger. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you just picked out one of my prime examples whenever I see a good story turned into a crappy film is the running man always. Oh, oh my goodness. You know, and that is such a good story. Uh, they ripped the core know. out of that story. Oh, well, they, they redid it when they come out with the hunger games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The parallels are there. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, you, you have to kind of put your trust in them. You know, you, you, you signed on and you said, okay, you know, but, uh, the, the director has been, excellent he's uh, he's he's kept me informed uh, with every stage and uh, i've met with the producers except for the one from india i'm supposed to meet with him sometime uh, later on uh, i guess in the fall they've all been in contact with me they, they they say they love the book they you know and they're they're saying they want to stay true to it and as i've gone over the book and reread it trying to think okay where can this go off on a tangent i'm thinking you know it's a pretty simple story good versus evil the character's you know, he's a pretty tortured soul, uh, just trying to do right by things. And, uh, you know, as long as they stay within that theme, I, I think I'll be happy. And, uh, Richard, so, we, we're hoping that they do stay with the story. It's a great story. Uh, recommend people get it. Where can you. they uh, find out more about The Camera Guy? Uh, it's on Amazon as a Kindle book. You just have to go to Amazon.com. And actually, you can just type in The Camera Guy uh, from there. You don't have to go to the Kindle uh, uh, section, but uh, to type in the camera guy, uh, it'll pop up. And Richard is more than willing to dremel his name into the front of your iPad or <laughs> Kindle device. You know, apparently, you're supposed to be able to do uh, an autograph, like an e autograph for for ebooks going out. Okay. <laughs> nice. No idea how to do that. I am not computer savvy <laughs> at all. How I got the books on the site is a wing and a prayer. Oh, but uh, you did it. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah. I got it on there. Yeah. So the, ca uh, the camera guy. How I did it, I, I don't know. <laughs> camera guy on Kindle, and uh, folks can get it. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to your book. And uh, Richard, we hope you'll come back and uh, keep us appraised of the uh, the filming situation and uh, give us a little insight on. Uh, we have a lot of authors listening, so they'd love to hear about the whole process and. Uh, you know, what oh, of course, it. whatever you're allowed to tell us, I'm sure you're under some kind of non-disclosure and we don't want to spoil anything, but uh, it'd be great to hear about how the process goes and how you feel yeah. about it. Actually, you know, how it got to the, the movie stage was uh, dumb luck. Um, I sometimes work as a consultant on movie sets in Toronto for police procedures and forensics. I had a beta reader copy uh, with me. It got passed around and, uh, and that's pretty much how it happened. You know, it wasn't, uh, certainly wasn't because, you know, it's a bestseller on Amazon. It's not. I wish it was, but. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on uh, that. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. Great. I like that. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm, Paul. <laughs> hey, Richard, if you're ever in uh, you know, nearby the airport, uh, give me an email, swing by, we'll have a drink together, and you'll find that there'll probably be a three or four ex-copper sitting at the table here in the break room, which oh, eventually is going to be our podcast studio. And I'd love to have you, uh, as one of our first guests in our new video studio. 
Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to come down and see you guys and uh, and be there. Uh, just a, a a note to uh, Father Robert. Um, you know, I would like you to read the book and give me your feedback on it. I actually just downloaded it. Sweet. <laughs> it's now on my next. It's my reading for my next flight. Oh, and by the okay. way, if you're ever in D.C. and you don't mind staying in a creepy house filled with priests, some of whom I'm pretty sure do talk to the dead, um, <laughs> give me a call and we'll set you up. My, my my older brother is a United Minister. My great aunt was a gray nun. Oh, I I grew up uh, in the Catholic environment, so... Uh, I wanna... Again, I, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Remember, mortal enemies, mortal enemies. <laughs> uh, Father Robert Belliser, thank you also for joining us. We hope you will return uh, again and again. Often, often. Uh, I love what you're doing. I think this is this is actually a very important podcast. Uh, you know, as an educator, I want people to read. I don't care what they read. I just want them reading. And uh, I think you do a great job of doing that. Thank you very much. And Mr. Goodship, thank you very much for joining us. We'll put uh, a link you, to your book on the Kindle and in, in the show notes. Excellent. Thank Sir you. Sir Jimmy. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. You folks stick around. We're going to record some uh, promos with Father Robert Balliser and Richard Goodship after the show. Uh, we are back from hiatus, folks, in our second year. And uh, soon we will be on the YouTubes. Very soon. As soon as that... Uh, Video podcast studio is ready. There's a lot of construction there, Sir Jimmy. We might have to have you come up all the way from uh, North Carolina. You yeah, hand, I'm still you searching with for a, uh, my background picture. You handy with a saw? <laughs> yes, very. We'll see you next week, folks. Same book time, same book channel. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.